Good morning. Welcome to With God at Dawn. Today we're studying receiving the Holy Spirit. We all want the Holy Spirit. Let's pray for Jesus to guide us. Dear Jesus, I pray, Lord, you would show us how to receive of your Spirit, to be filled to the fullest of our capacity. I pray for those who are here with me this morning and myself, that we can come away from this with confidence that you will do what you have promised. In your name we pray. Amen. We begin in the book of Luke, chapter 11, verse 8. I say unto you, though he will not rise and give him because he is his friend, yet because of his importunity, he will rise and give him as many as he needs. So when we desire, we will be given according to our importunity as much as we desire and need. Testimonies, volume 6, page 90. That's a few paragraphs. Hmm. As the knowledge of the truth is received, let it be imparted to those who are in darkness, without God and without hope in the world. In such labor there is a variety of minds to deal with, and God will greatly bless his servants as they look to him for wisdom the Holy Spirit will come to all who are begging for the bread of life to give to their neighbors. And this goes right along with that verse that we just read in Luke eleven eight. That's a parable Jesus is telling of the neighbor who goes to his neighbor at nighttime asking for bread because he has someone come to him. Because of his importunity, he gave him as much as he desired. And this tells us that God will greatly bless his servants as they look to him for wisdom the Holy Spirit will come to all who are begging for the bread of life to give to their neighbors. Hallelujah. Um, Luke eleven nine to 13. And I say unto you, ask and it shall be given you. Let's count how many ways the, the Holy Spirit has promised to us. Ask, it will be given to you. One. Seek and you shall find. Two. Knock, and it shall be opened unto you. Three. For everyone that asketh receiveth. Four. And he that seeketh findeth. Five. And to him that knocketh it shall be opened. Six. If a son shall ask bread of any of you that is a father, will he give him a stone? Seven. If he ask a fish, will he for a fish give him a serpent? Eight. Or if he ask an egg, will he offer him a scorpion? Nine. If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more shall your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to them that ask him? Ten times. That's ten. Ten times in those verses. The promise of the Spirit is repeated in different ways. The Lord desires us to have this. We can ask in confidence. Zechariah chapter 10, verse 1. Ask ye of the Lord rain in the time of the latter rain, so the Lord shall make bright clouds and give them showers of rain to every one grass in the field. Pray for it. Acts of the Apostles, page 55 and 56.
that near the close of earth's harvest, a special bestowal of spiritual grace is promised to prepare the church for the coming of the Son of Man. This outpouring of the Spirit is likened to the falling of the latter rain, and it is for this added power that Christians are to send their petitions to the Lord of the harvest. In the time of the latter rain, in response, the Lord shall make bright clouds and give them showers of rain. He will cause to come down the rain, the former rain and the latter rain. But unless the members of God's church today have a living connection with the source of all spiritual growth, they will not be ready for the time of reaping. Unless they keep their lamps trimmed and burning, they will fail of receiving added grace in time of special need. Wow. Our lamps trimmed and burning. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Is that the word of God that we continue to, to burn by reading and memorizing and remembering and studying? That's the question. Those only who are constantly receiving fresh supplies of grace will have power proportionate to their daily needs and their ability to use that power. So we get a constant fresh supply of grace as we study God's word, don't we? Instead of looking forward to some future time when through a special endowment of spiritual power, they will receive a miraculous fitting up for soul winning. Okay, here it is. They're yielding themselves daily to God that he may make them vessels meet for his use daily. They're improving the opportunities for service that lie within their reach. Daily, they're witnessing for the master, wherever they may be whether in some humble sphere of labor in the home or in a public field of usefulness. To the consecrated worker, there's a wonderful consolation in the knowledge that even Christ, during his life on earth, sought his Father daily for fresh supplies of needed grace. And from this communion with God, he went forth to strengthen and bless others. Behold, the Son of God bowed in prayer to his Father. Though he is the Son of God, he strengthens his faith by prayer and by communion with heaven, gathers to himself power to resist evil and to minister to the needs of men. As the elder brother of our race, he knows the necessities of those who compass with infirmity, living in a world of sin and temptation, still desire to serve him. He knows the messengers whom he sees fit to send are weak, erring men, that's us, weak, erring men. But to all who give themselves wholly to his service, he promises divine aid. His own example is an assurance, an earnest, persevering supplication to God in faith, faith that leads to entire dependence upon God, unreserved consecration to his work, will avail to bring to men the Holy Spirit's aid in the battle against sin. So it's this faith that leads to entire dependence on God and unreserved consecration. That's going to avail to bring us the Holy Spirit's aid in the battle against sin. Every worker who follows the example of Christ will be prepared to receive and use the power that God has promised to his church for the ripening of earth's harvest. We're sweetening up for the harvest, aren't we? That's what happens when fruit ripens. It becomes sweeter. The sugar um, gets higher and they test it with a bricks meter to see if it's ready for harvest. Well, for grapes anyways. I don't know how many people do that. 
morning by morning, as the heralds of the gospel kneel before the Lord and renew their vows of consecration to him, he will grant them the presence of his spirit with its reviving, sanctifying power. And as they go forth to the day's duties, they have the assurance that we can have confidence that the unseen agency of the Holy Spirit will enable them to be laborers together with God. Amen. 2 Samuel 23, 2-4. The Spirit of the Lord spake by me, and his word was in my tongue. The God of Israel said, The rock of Israel spake to me, He that ruleth over men must be just, ruling in the fear of God, and he shall be as the light of the morning, when the sun riseth, even a morning without clouds, as the tender grass springing out of the earth by clear shining after rain. That's beautiful. It's a precious experience of having God speak through you. Education, page 95. The book Education, page 95. The disciple, well, I'm going to start on the the last little paragraph of 94, so it goes together. It, the disciples had seen Christ descend from among them on the Mount of Olives, and as the heavens received him, there had come back to them his parting promise, Lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. They knew that his sympathies were with them still. They knew that they had a representative, an advocate, at the throne of God, in the name of Jesus, they presented their petitions, repeating his promise. Whatsoever you shall ask the Father in my name, he will give it you. Higher and higher they extended the hand of faith. With a mighty argument, it is Christ that died, yea, brother, that is risen again, who is even at the right hand of God, who also maketh intercession for us. Faithful to his promise, the Divine One, exalted in the heavenly courts. Oh, here it is imparted of his fullness to his followers on earth. And what was that? That was Pentecost. He imparted of his fullness to his followers on earth. He was filled with the spirit of his father, wasn't he? And he imparted to us of his fullness. I'll continue reading. His enthronement at God's right hand was signalized by the outpouring of the spirit upon his disciples. It was a signal to us that he had been enthroned at God's right hand. By the work of Christ, these disciples had been led to feel their need of the Spirit under the Spirit's teaching. They received their final preparation, and they went forth to their life work. No longer were they ignorant and uncultured. No longer were they a collection of independent units or of discordant, conflicting elements. No longer were their hopes set on worldly greatness. They were of one accord, of one mind and one soul. Christ filled their thoughts. The advancement of his kingdom was their aim. In mind and character, they had become like their master, and men took knowledge of them that they had been with Jesus. Galatians 5, 22-25 But the fruit of the Spirit... Okay, now get this list. This is fruit. It's not fruits. S. It's um, one single fruit, and it includes all of these traits. The fruit of the Spirit. 
well, maybe I'm not saying that right, but the fruit, okay, no, no, let me just read. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, meek, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. And they that are Christ's have crucified the flesh with the affections and the lusts. This tells us something right here, that we are crucifying the flesh with the affections and the lusts. That means disciplining ourselves against temptations. That means victory over sin. We have crucified the flesh with the affections and the lusts. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit, which is a, vic a walk of victory, isn't it? Okay, receiving bears nine kinds of fruit. Okay, the receiver bears nine kinds of fruit. That's the way to say it, not the way I tried to. Testimonies, Volume 5, page 169. The heart in which love rules will not be filled with passion or revenge by injuries which pride and self-love would deem unbearable. Love is unsuspecting, ever placing the most favorable construction upon the motives and acts of others. Love will never need needlessly, excuse me, love will never needlessly expose the faults of others. It does not listen eagerly to unfavorable reports or rather seeks to bring to mind some good qualities of the one defamed. Love rejoiceth not in iniquity, but rejoiceth in the truth. He whose heart is imbued with love is filled with sorrow at the errors and weaknesses of others. But when truth triumphs, when the cloud that darkened the fair fame of another is removed, or when sins are confessed and wrongs corrected, he rejoices, beareth all things, believeth all things. Hopeth all things, endureth all things, love not only bears with others' faults, but cheerfully submits to whatever suffering or inconvenience such forbearance makes necessary. This love never faileth, it can never lose its value, it is the attribute of heaven. As a precious treasure, it will be carried by its possessor through the portals of the city of God. In other words, you have to have it already before you go through that portal, don't you? The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, and peace. Discord and strife are the work of Satan and the fruit of sin. If we would, as a people, enjoy peace and love, we must put away our sins. We must come into harmony with God, and we shall be in harmony with one another. That's right. If we're in harmony with God, we will be in harmony with one another. Let each ask himself, Do I possess the grace of love? Have I learned to suffer long and to be kind? Talent, learning, and eloquence without this heavenly attribute will be as meaningless as the sounding brass or a tinkling cymbal. Alas, that this precious treasure is so lightly valued, so little sought by many who profess faith. Isaiah 11, 2 and 3. And the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the Spirit of wisdom and understanding, the Spirit of counsel and might, the Spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord. Wow, look at this, the Spirit of wisdom. That reminds me of Proverbs chapter 8. But I'm going on here. 2 and 3. And shall make him of quick understanding in the fear of the Lord, and he shall not judge after the sight of his eyes, 
neither reprove after the hearing of his ears. Because his wisdom is deeper than that. It's not just what we see and hear, is it? You've heard that saying that um, if we have wisdom, we will not believe anything we hear. And let's see, we won't believe anything we hear and only about half of what we see. Uh, because there's always more to things than they appear, isn't there? It says, the Spirit of the Lord will rest upon him. This is speaking of Jesus. It's a prophecy that Isaiah made. Make him of quick understanding in the fear of the Lord. And he didn't judge like that, did he? He had he judged with love and kindness. All right, going on here. There were seven manifestations. Let me read those seven manifestations to you. Wisdom, understanding, counsel, and might, knowledge, fear of the Lord, and quick understanding. Those would all be in Jesus. Those were the fruits of the Spirit. And so forth. So, going to Exodus 28, 2-5. And thou shalt make holy garments for Aaron thy brother for glory. I'll make sure I'm in the right place. Yeah, I am. Okay. And for beauty. And thou shalt speak unto all that are wise-hearted, whom I have filled with the spirit of wisdom, that they may make... Oh, that's just so exciting to me. I'm going to throw this in there, but, um, you know, take it or not. It's your choice, but the spirit of wisdom... Remember in Proverbs 8, Jesus' name was wisdom when God brought him forth back in time way back before anything else had been created yet. And uh, Jesus' name was wisdom. And this says he's spelled with the spirit of wisdom. We know that God is spirit. That's all I'm going to say. I'm not, I don't want to follow that any further, but where was I? Exodus um, 28, 2-5, okay. And thou shalt make holy garments for Aaron thy brother, for glory and for beauty. And thou shalt speak unto all that are wise-hearted, whom I have filled with the spirit of wisdom, that they may make Aaron's garments to consecrate him, that he may minister unto me in the priest's office. And these are the garments which they shall make, a breastplate, and an ephod, and a robe, and a broidered coat, and a mitre, and a girdle. And they shall make holy garments for Aaron thy brother and his sons that he may minister unto me in the priest's office and they shall take gold and blue and purple and scarlet and fine linen alrighty Exodus 35 30 to 35 let's see what we find there I'm searching for treasures here Exodus 35 30 to 35 and Moses said unto the children of Israel see the Lord hath called by name and Bezaliel, the son of Uri, the son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah. And he hath filled him with the Spirit of God in wisdom, in understanding, and in knowledge, and in all manner of workmanship. Filled him with the Spirit of God in wisdom, understanding, knowledge. It's pretty amazing. It will help in every lawful line of business to have the Spirit, won't it? God gives us the Spirit he's promised us. We, too, will be filled with wisdom, understanding, and knowledge in all manner of workmanship. We are more than the sum of our parts when we have the indwelling of the Spirit of God. Exodus, let's see, I just read that. John 20, 22 and 23. And when he had said this, he breathed on them 
And he saith unto them, Receive ye the Holy Ghost. Whosoever sins ye remit, they are remitted unto them. And whosoever sins ye retain, they are retained. So then when we receive that, then we become God's representative because we're filled with his spirit. Jesus breathed um, the spirit upon his disciples. It's the breath of God. Luke 24, 44, and 45. Luke 24, okay, 44 and 45. And he said unto them, These are the words which I spake unto you while I was yet with you, that all things must be fulfilled, which were written in the law of Moses, and in the prophets, and in the Psalms concerning me. Then opened he their understanding, that they might understand the scriptures. The Spirit opens minds to comprehend the scriptures. Hmm, interesting. That was Jesus speaking to them. Hebrews 6, 4 through 6. For it is impossible for those who were once enlightened and have tasted of the heavenly gift and were made partakers of the Holy Ghost and have tasted the good word of God and the powers of the world to come, if they shall fall away to renew them again unto repentance, seeing crucify to themselves the Son of God afresh and put him to an open shame. It's fatal to reject the Spirit. To the page, page 587. The word here. In every age is given to men their day of light and privilege, a probationary time, in which they may become reconciled to God. But there's a limit to this grace. Mercy may plead for years and be slighted and rejected, but there comes a time when mercy makes her last plea. The heart becomes, and this is what it is, it's not an arbitrary decision on God's part. It's just that, and here the book explains, the heart becomes so hardened that it ceases to respond to the Spirit of God. Then the sweet winning voice entreats the sinner no longer, and reproofs and warnings cease. Do they cease, or do we just not be able to hear it anymore because we're so hardened? I don't know. That day had come to Jerusalem. Jesus wept in anguish over the doomed city, but he could not deliver her. He had exhausted every resource. And rejecting the warnings of God's Spirit, Israel had rejected the only means of help. There was no other power by which they could be delivered. The Jewish nation was a symbol of the people of all ages who scorned the pleadings of infinite love. The tears of Christ when he wept over Jerusalem were for the sins of all time, which includes us. In the judgments pronounced upon Israel, those who reject the reproofs and warnings of God's Holy Spirit they may read their own condemnation. We have to be careful. We can't just say, I'm going to do what I want now, and then I'm going to uh, start doing the right thing tomorrow, next time, because we're hardening ourselves in this way. In this generation, there are many who are treading on that same ground as for the unbelieving Jews. 
They have witnessed the manifestation of the power of God. The Holy Spirit has spoken to their hearts, but they cling to their unbelief and resistance. Resistance is, boy, that's that wild-ass-in-the-desert experience, isn't it? The resistance. God sends them warnings and reproof, but they're not willing to confess their errors. And they reject his message and his messenger. The very means he uses for their recovery becomes to them a stone of stumbling. Why? Because every time the means he uses for their recovery comes, they harden their hearts a little bit more until it's a stone of stumbling. The prophets of God were hated by apostate Israel because through them their hidden sins were brought to light. Ahab regarded Elijah as his enemy. All right, so we have to be careful that we don't harden our hearts. The Lord calls us. Isaiah 55, verse 1. Ho, everyone that thirsteth, come ye to the waters, and he that has no money, come ye, buy and eat, yea, come and buy wine and milk without money and without price. Mm. You know, it's free, isn't it? And yet it costs us everything. We have to give the Lord complete authority in our lives. And surrender completely but we can receive it without money it's available for anybody in any walk of life Joel chapter 2 23 to 25 be glad then ye children of Zion and rejoice in the Lord your God for he hath given you the former rain moderately and he will cause to come down for you the rain, the former rain, and the latter rain in the first month. Hmm. Now that is interesting. The first month for, for them, well, depending on whether it was a civil or religious calendar, it was either April or like September or October. I believe we're talking about the fall. Because that would be the time of atonement when the latter rain would come to ripeness for harvest, which would be the final ceremonial uh, thing that happens that hasn't been fulfilled yet. It's happening right now. The day of atonement or time of atonement is ongoing. So that latter rain should be coming during the, the coming fall of the year. All right, let's see. It restores a wasted life. Joel 2, 23-25. Did I read the whole thing? Um, oh, no, I didn't. And the floor shall be full of wheat, and the vats shall overflow with wine and oil. And I will restore to you the years that the locusts have eaten, the canker worm, and the caterpillar, and the palmer worm, my great army which I sent among you. You know, the years the locusts have eaten that he's going to restore to us, that includes everything. Every loss that you've ever incurred or suffering that you've had because of guilt or sin you've committed or hurt that you've caused to somebody, God can repair and restore. Like my son who died when he was 14. God has the power to bring him back, back if it will be to his glory. And um, I look forward to that day. And there's anything that you've done that could be restored. It can be restored. Um, these were the trials that God sent among us to do a work right 
He can restore the wasted life. Education, page 106. That's our final book reference. Page 106. The plant grows by receiving that which God has provided to sustain its life. So spiritual growth, which is what we're looking for, spiritual growth, it's attained through cooperation with divine agencies. So as a plant takes root in the soil, we are to take root in Christ. As the plant receives the sunshine, the dew, and the rain, so are we to receive the Holy Spirit. And if our hearts are stayed upon Christ, he will come unto us as the rain, as the latter and former rain unto the earth, as the Son of Righteousness. He will arise upon us with healing in his wings. We shall grow as the lily. We shall revive as the corn and grow as the vine. The wheat develops first the blade, then the ear. After that, the full corn in the ear. The object of the husbandman in the sowing of the seed and the culture of the plant is the production of grain, bread for the hungry, seed for future harvest. So the divine husbandman, he looks for a harvest. He's seeking to reproduce himself in the hearts and lives of his followers. And through him, he may be reproduced in other hearts and lives. So, that's bread for the hungry and seed for the harvest. That's what Jesus wants to develop in us, to reproduce himself in our hearts and lives, that he may be reproduced in other hearts and lives. The gradual development of the plant from the seed is an object lesson in child training. First the blade, then the ear, after that the full corn in the ear. He who gave this parable created the tiny seed, gave it its vital properties, and ordained the laws that govern its growth. And the truths taught by the parable were made a reality in his own life. He was born as a baby and he grew up. And it was first the blade, then the ear, and after that the full corn in the ear, until he became full, he'd grown. He, the majesty of heaven, the king of glory, became a babe in Bethlehem and for a time represented the helpless infant in its mother's care. In childhood, he spoke and acted as a child, honoring his parents, carrying out their wishes in helpful ways. But from the first dawning of intelligence, he was constantly growing in grace and a knowledge of truth. I'm going to put this book down or else I'll just keep reading. Um, all right. John 6, 63. Verse 63. It is the spirit that quickeneth, the flesh profiteth nothing. And the words that I speak unto you, they are spirit and they are life. The words, Jesus, it's his word in his Bible, right? We can read his word and grow. Words are spirit. Let's go to John 1, 1, 2, and 14. John 1. 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. Okay, and the final verse, number 14. And the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Christ and the Word are synonymous. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word is God. So it's synonymous to say the Word or Christ. 
So words are spirit, and Christ is spirit. Christ and the word, they're synonymous. Hebrews 4, 12 to 16 is our, uh, not quite our final verse. We're getting there, though. Actually, we are getting there. Hmm. All right. Hebrews 4, 12 to 16. For the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and of joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Neither is there any creature that is not manifest in his sight, but all things are naked and open unto the eyes of him with whom we have to do. Seeing then that we have a great high priest that is passed into the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our profession. For we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly into the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. One does not work independently of the other. Yes, the word of God and Christ, they work together. Acts 10, 44-48 44. While Peter yet spake these words, the Holy Ghost fell on all of all them which heard the word. And they of the circumcision which believed were astonished, as many as came with Peter, because that on the Gentiles also was poured out the gift of the Holy Ghost. For they heard them speak with tongues and magnify God. Then answered Peter, can any man forbid water that these should be baptized, which have received the Holy Ghost as well as we? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of the Lord, and prayed they him to tarry certain days. You notice they baptized them in the name of the Lord. And uh, not to be redundant, but I like to say this as often as I can, because everybody doesn't hear every recording. And um, when they are told in the New Testament to baptize in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, um, those are titles, those are not names. And when they actually did baptize people, they baptized them in the name of Jesus Christ, in the name of Jesus, in the name of the Lord. And um, Jesus, those titles actually all do belong to Jesus. He is the ever, our everlasting Father, He is the Son of God, and He is the Spirit. It's the Spirit of Christ. And <coughs> I'm not going to dwell on that, only to say that they baptized him in the name of the Lord. So, when Peter was explaining the scriptures, the Holy Ghost was poured out on the Gentiles as well. Acts 1, 15 to 26. And in those days, Peter stood up in the midst of the disciples and said the number of names together were about 120. Men and brethren, this scripture must needs have been fulfilled, which the Holy Ghost by the mouth of David spake before concerning Judas, which was guide to them that took Jesus. So it's kind of interesting that um, before Jesus came and the outpouring at Pentecost and that, that people still had access to the Spirit of God. But it wasn't the same, because remember how Jesus, uh, let's see, the Spirit was not yet poured out because 
I'm going to see if I can find that verse. Hold on. Okay, I found it. It's John 7, 39. Let me just read it. John 7, 39. But this spake he of the Spirit, which they that believe on him should, re should receive, for the Holy Ghost was not yet given, because that Jesus was not yet glorified. So, there is a depth to this, and I can't go into it too deeply. But David in the Old Testament had received, by the Holy Ghost, by the influence of the Spirit of God, had spoken prophecies, as we know. But this in the New Testament is saying that the Holy Ghost was not yet given because Jesus was not yet glorified. And we know that when Jesus was glorified, something happened because he said he had to go away to heaven or else the, or the Holy Spirit, a comforter, could not come. So there is something that's happening here about the outpouring of the Spirit of Christ that's different than the influence of the Spirit of God in the Old Testament. But I'm not going to come to any conclusions. I'm just going to get back to my reading. Okay. And we just read Acts 10, 44 to 48. Um, Peter was explaining the scriptures, and the Holy Ghost was poured out on the Gentiles. Now we're going to read Acts 1, 15 to 26. Maybe that's where I was, actually. Okay, Acts 1, 15 to 26. <laughs> okay. All right. Men and brethren, this scripture must needs have been fulfilled, which the Holy Ghost by the mouth of David spake before concerning Judas, which was guide to them that took Jesus, for he was numbered with us and had obtained part of this ministry. Now this man purchased a field with the reward of iniquity, and following headlong he burst asunder in the midst, and all his bowels gushed out. And it was known unto all the dwellers at Jerusalem, insomuch as that field is called in their proper tongue of Seldama, that is to say the field of blood. For it is written in the book of Psalms, Let his habitation be desolate, let no man dwell therein, and his bishopric let another take. Wherefore of these men which have accompanied with us all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from the baptism of John unto that same day that he was taken up from us, must one be ordained to be a witness with us of his resurrection. And they appointed two, Joseph called Barsabas, who was surnamed Justice, and Matthias. And they prayed and said, Thou, Lord, which knowest the hearts of all men, show whether of these two thou hast chosen, that he may take part of this ministry and apostleship, from which Judas by transgression fell, that he might go to his own place. And they gave forth their lots, and the lot fell upon Matthias, and he was numbered with the eleven. So, the study of the 109th Psalm, regulating their lives by it, brought the Spirit on Pentecost. So see, Peter had studied Psalms 109, which is where he refers back to David, speaking of uh, having to give the, the one who... Dis, uh, Judas, another one would take his bishopric, and because of that, it regu they regulated their lives by that, and that brought on the Spirit on Pentecost. Let's read Desire of Ages, page 827. This sounds like something that I'm not familiar with, and so I'm kind of interested to learn something, possibly. Oops, there goes my pile of books. Desire of Ages, page 827. 827, hmm. These studies were written out by Stephen Haskell. I think it was like 
um, published in like 19 something, 1901, 1913, I don't know what it was, I can't remember now, but uh, it's very old studies. And he was one who was very close with Ellen and James. So I have confidence in the things he's saying, so I'm interested in what we will learn here. I'm just going to read this, okay? The first disciples went forth preaching the word. They revealed Christ in their lives, and the Lord worked with them, confirming the word with signs following. Mark 16:20. These disciples prepared themselves for their work. Before the day of Pentecost, they met together. They put away all differences. They were of one accord. They believed Christ's promise that the blessing would be given, and they prayed in faith. They did not ask for a blessing for themselves merely. They were weighted with the burden for the salvation of souls. The gospel was to be carried to the uttermost parts of the earth, and they claimed the endowment of power that Christ had promised. Then it was that the Holy Spirit was poured out and thousands were converted in a day. So it may be now. Instead of man's speculations, let the word of God be preached. Let Christians put away their dissensions and give themselves to God for the saving of the lost. Let them ask in faith, ask for the blessing, and it will come. The outpouring of the Spirit in apostolic days was the former reign, and glorious was the result, but the latter reign will be more abundant. All right, so I think what they're saying is that, um, where did they find that? They believe Christ's promise. They let the word of God be preached. Let's put away dissension. Okay, so they saw that David had said that that needed to happen, so they did it. And that was, and I think they needed to have that um, man, Matthias, in place before Pentecost. And so they took that step and came into unity with one another after Matthias would ha was appointed. And then Pentecost happened. So there might be steps that we need to take. I mean, coming into unity with one another, I think that's big. And putting away all of our differences, I think that's big. And um, we can't come into uniformity. It says unity. Unity in Christ. All right, so let me read our final reference verse, Hebrews 4, 12 and 13. For the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit, and of the joints and marrow, as a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Neither is there any creature that is not manifest in his sight, but all things are naked and opened unto the eyes of him with whom we have to do. The word of God with the Holy Spirit searches the deepest recesses of the heart, and that's what it was that convicted Paul. He thought he had been a perfect keeper of the law, but then his heart was convicted about the Tenth Commandment of covetousness, and he realized it was deeper than a superficial understanding. It had a spiritual level, and that the Spirit of God would search the deepest recesses of the heart and convict him of sin. And that can happen for us, too. We can pray for that conviction. It's God working in us to uh, restore us and redeem us. Let me just summarize really quickly what we have learned. Receiving the Holy Spirit. We need to desire the Spirit. The promise of the Spirit is ten times repeated in Luke 11, 9-13. We are to pray for it. 
It's a precious experience. And we can bear nine kinds of fruit. There are seven manifestations that were spoken of in Isaiah who will help in every lawful line of business. And we become a representative of God when we receive it. We have to have open minds to comprehend. It will open, excuse me, say that right. It will open our minds to comprehend the scriptures. It's fatal to reject it. We can receive it without money. It restores a wasted life. Words are spirit. God, Christ, and the word are synonymous. One does not work independently of the other. When Peter was explaining the scriptures, the Holy Ghost was poured out. The study of the 109th Psalm, regulating their lives by it, brought the Spirit on Pentecost. They did what they knew their duty was to do, didn't they? The Word of God with the Holy Spirit searches the deepest recesses of the heart. Let's close with prayer. Lord Jesus, thank you, Lord, that you have promised us so many times in so many ways that Spirit we pray for not only for the indwelling of that spirit deeply to our best capacity, I and those who are here with me, we also pray that we can see those fruits in our lives. Thank you, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. Thank you, brothers and sisters. God bless you today. Tomorrow morning we are going to read about how we can retain the spirit once we have received it. I think that's a precious thing to understand. And it needs to be simple enough for even for us, right? God bless you. I'll see you in the morning.